Welcome to Editing Loud for another session with South Africa's sharpest minds. And today we have um, the esteemed senior lecturer in the Witz Economics Department, Lumkile Mondi, joining us. Thank you. Guys, there's a lot to talk about this week, but let's start with Tito Mboweni's economic plan, which I think was an issue that, that had just, just arisen last week, um, but we didn't really get into it. Um, Lumkile, if I can start with you, I mean, looking at the plan, uh, was there much new in it? It seems to me like a bit of a collation of previous plans. It's, it is not what is inside the plan. It is about the message. Uh, the message being really that um, the, the Minister of Finance and his president are very, very weak in really articulating a South Africa um, strategy of macroeconomic uh, development and growth that is inclusive. Why would you go out and ask opinions that are so diverse and heterogeneous in our society when you've just been elected three months ago as a president and South Africans expect you to lead and implement a program that will create growth? So for me, it was really a, a sign of weakness uh, by, by both the Minister of Finance and his president. But more importantly also, that the NC has reached a cul-de-sac. There's really no ideas about development, no ideas about growth. Really, they need to call upon support across other political parties that are, are capable to support them to drive an inclusive growth agenda going forward. So why then release it? Why then release it at all? If it's because you're weak. When you're weak, you want people to tell you what you need to do so that when you're called to account, you can say, by the way, we consulted, you were there. Um, why didn't you comment if you had such a good idea? So uh, we're failing because you never commented. So this is really a big sign of weakness. And in a economic crisis that, such as this one that we're experiencing, we need uh, people to stand up and start implementing, even if we fail. But we fail because we did something. At the moment, there's just a paralysis across all institutional for societies, unacceptable. Ranjini, do you agree with that opinion? I mean, partly, I mean, it, the display of weakness, I think, is, is something that's, that you know, could potentially cripple the economics department, the finance department? Well, you know, I think that it's quite clear that people don't know really what to do about the economy. Um, and it's a kind of hit and miss process now. Um, and <clears throat> I think the document reflects that the, the Treasury bureaucrats um, ha I have reached a level of frustration where um, they, they, they are under so much pressure to come up with revenue to, to, to continue keeping the, the country afloat and, and bailing out the SOEs. Um, and so I think this is, this is the result, that they, they produce this document. But there have been a lot of questions, not so much about the content, but the process that was followed as to how this happened, that a document is suddenly released after the election, after there's an election manifesto, um, after the president delivers the State of the Nation address where he makes announcements on the, on the way forward, and then suddenly this comes out of nowhere. Um, so the finance minister says that... Um, they, they needed an, an emergency intervention. And what he's doing is going out there to, to, seek, to, to seek comment before he de delivers the medium-term budget policy statement. Uh, so you kind of can see, you know, their, their thinking, you know, or where they were going with it. What, what I'm wondering about is where does the president stand on this? So are we now following the, the SONA in terms of what that plan of action set out? Um, is this now a different plan with emergency interventions? We still have the backdrop of the, uh, the, the, the emergency intervention uh, last September, which was the economic stimulus package. 
which hasn't uh, been implemented yet. So, so do we sweep all these other things aside now, including the manifesto on the basis of which people voted for the ANC and say, okay, now we're doing this? Because these are emergency interventions. And some of the things, like the telecoms policy, mm. is in direct, direct contradiction of what the line function minister, uh, Stella and Debeni mm. Abrams, has, uh, has been doing. Uh, so it doesn't make sense. You can see why there's emergency intervention coming from the tre Treasury, but it doesn't make sense in terms of the bigger state of play. And nobody is spelling that process out. And I think that's a source of massive confusion. Genevieve, I mean, in terms of that particular question that Tranjani just asked, where do you think the president stands on this? I'm actually not quite sure. Did, I think the one thing we need to ascertain is, did Tito Mboweni just release this document without speaking to the president? I, I kind of doubt it. I think the president must have been aware of the document. On the other side, though, when you see the reaction from Kassar to SACP and even the ANC, obviously this wasn't discussed within ANC structures, and that's... That's the issue there. I think they're feeling isolated from, from the process. And we've had manifestos and we've had pre-election plans. And I think the president again spoke during the summer of the NDP. And I come back and I think you sort of brought it up, both of you, is that do we need another plan? The thing is, um, and I would like to hear from the politics crew, um, does it have to be passed by the structures of the ANC. This is a government plan. This is a national treasury plan. Uh, to run it past the ANC is to conflate, once again, party and state. That's Although, of, of course, they are the party that won the elections. But um, isn't there, shouldn't there be a division between the, the two? The policy is decided by the governing party, and that's the ANC. And it's decided, at a, that's why we have a policy conference, going to a conference at the end of the year where those decisions are then finally taken. It is, that is where the policy is made. The policy is not made in the government office or at the union building. So something like, for example, the, the sale of uh, coal-fired power stations, that's not ANC policy. So in that way, you can see why people are unsettled um, in the alliance because they didn't know about mm -hmm. it. If it's interventions that only the Treasury can take, so for example, in terms of the disbursement of finances, then, then you can, you, that makes sense. They, they, it's within the ambit of the work of the Treasury. Mm. If they're changing policy, it's something else. Um, but so the Minister of Finance says um, that he distributed the document to members of cabinet, but it was not tabled as a cabinet document. So he says some of the people who were complaining actually had the document for about a month, and they didn't submit any reaction to it or any proposals. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a confused process. And, and the, the concern about that is that it, the, the ability to implement things that might be worthwhile or looking at uh, it, it is then in doubt because, um, you know... It doesn't have bias. But yeah, do we not do this with too much power? We assume it to be almost be a final policy document when actually this is a consultation document. A discussion document. A discussion yes. document. So we're assuming it's almost an approved plan that had to get approved by various structures when this is just almost a wish list. Is that not the reality of this document? Yeah, so I just want to say something around uh, what uh, the political analysts have said, uh, both Jennifer and Diane, specifically relating to what, what the ministers are about. Ministers take an oath and loyalty to the constitution. Mm. Therefore, the fact that we've got them having now been uh, so swan in 
they're supposed to act in the interest of South Africa, not the ANC. Mm. So what we've seen um, uh, is that in the Zuma and the current regime, which in fact had led to Mbeki being recalled, that tension between what the party wants and what government wants, that tension that led to Mbeki being seen as autocratic and, 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 as, and, 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 and as divisive in the ANC. So those issues, we shouldn't reject them. We shouldn't assume them as the right way of doing things. That's why I'm a position around what the minister has been saying. I've been very consistent because the minister needs to represent the interests of South Africa. Yes, he's NC, so he needs to ensure that as he does that, mm. he but carries part sense. along. But he can't be using his portfolio for NC reason, uh, position because he's sworn under, our under, under, under law. I mean, I feel like saying that it doesn't come out of nowhere. Um, you know, a lot of the threads of this policy or the strategy document um, have their roots in the NDP. So there's a, and there's a lot of very practical suggestions sure. that really we should have implemented anyway, um, f uh, streamlining the whole visa process. Uh, you know, the, the, these are not, these are not um, incredibly controversial elements. I don't think the fight elements. from, say, the SACP, Kasachi and ANC is because none of them was, well... I think the biggest issue is that we were isolated from you didn't come to us first. It's okay. almost like a um it's a it's like why didn't we didn't you didn't come to us. We're supposed to be the collect we're supposed to make policy. Uh, is that but, not exactly why South Africa but, is? But in the, the difference is okay, okay with the stimulus package, the president didn't go to them. He yes. just announced it, right? Mm -hmm. And he has the right to do so as president. Now Pramin Gordon and Tito Mboweni are contested figures Absolutely. In, the, in the alliance. So the fact that Mboweni dared to do this on his own, <laughs> just <laughs> dropped it. Mm. And this is part of the reason why there's this turbulence around this document. I think if the president owned it and said, here's the thing, it, it, it follows on in terms of what I've been doing, but this is now been researched by the National Treasury um, and, and, and this is what we think is a, is a way forward. I think the reception to the document would have been different because he can do that. But Mboweni, because he's been saying things like, let's sell off SAA, mm. um, let's pay for e-tolls, he's already under fire mm. in terms mm. of, you know, in the, in the alliance. And that is why something else that comes out of nowhere from him um, will, will definitely be contested. Ranjani, can you own up to anything? Can you really, the president, can you own up to anything? So this is a big ask. Here's a man who is spineless. The country is burning. Um, the, the, the massive unemployment. No program, no plan. We're all watching. So I really think it's time for us to see action from president. We can't have an absentee president when the country is such in a crisis. Social, political, and economic. Something has to give. Absolutely. It's a that's the point. And Jenny, just, just one point on that. I mean, where we are now, and given how it has been put out, what do you see the political fallout being? How do you, how do you think it's going to go? Well, the problem is that what happens at the next NEC? Uh, you know, they, there's going to be this whole shadow boxing thing about it with Tito. Is why did you go and mm. uh, release the document? And Tito says, I'm finance minister. I'm allowed yeah, to. I'm allowed to, <laughs> you know. Um, and it's going to get nowhere. So it means that the plan will get stuck in implementation. Um, Unlike so, all our other economic plans. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then you're going to get to the medium-term budget policy stadium and a statement, and it's going to be an empty statement because he can't announce things either way. Um, so the intention was that flowing out of this big dis discussion, and you know, he assumed that there'll be a, a rational discussion out of this, 
it's not happening. Everybody's fighting over it. So who knows what, you know, what, what he can then announce. Lumkili, just, just one last question before our break. Um, in, in terms of this document, forgetting us the process and sure. the flawed way in which it was put out, do you think that this document has a potential to actually get the economy going? Or is it, is it a series of measures that have already been there and haven't been implemented anyway? It can. Because remember, we, we need to be very selective to the easier things that you can do. So there are things that are easily doable there. For example, the issue around ESCOM. It's a very easy thing to do. A plan was put on the table by the task team, led by Professor Anton Eberhardt. The president, as I said earlier, ran away from it, and the, the minister, uh, Minister Pravin Kodam, uh, prevailed. So we need to be bolder. I think for me, it's really ideologies becoming more dominant in an economic crisis. Mm. And I think if we can have everyone saying that we put South Africa first, mm. so therefore what needs to be done now? Let's all combine. We have a, we have a nice fight, we're not growing 6%. It's a very nice fight to have, ideologically around, mm. is there inclusive growth? Where is NHI? What can we do? Because we're so much endowed. At this juncture, we're getting weaker by the day. Mm -hmm. Therefore, that plan is required of everyone coming to person that what I, I leave my ideology outside. I want South Africa to start going and growing and creating those jobs. Um, can, we, can we start with you? The xenophobic attacks have really rattled society and it's led to potential consequences from all our trading partners in, sure. in Africa. Um, what, how do you see this, this playing out in the next couple of days? I mean, how have we reached the apex of the crisis? Or what do you, I mean, how do you think it's going to go from here? South Africa has stuck to a script that says that, you know, this is criminality and we condemn criminality. But obviously this is now bubbling and becoming a, a diplomatic crisis and also, you know, a geopolitical crisis as well. Um, Nigeria has really put their foot down this time and said... They that have before, though. Previously. And they have before. Um, and obviously, um, you know, there, there, there is an element, you know, where, 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 where there's sort of geopolitics uh, at play with, you know, who's the big brother of Africa and all of that. But, but the reality of it is this time around, um, you know, the last five times there could have been that explanation that it was, you know, just... Uh, criminality, but there seems to be some sort of coordination that's happening here. Mm -hmm. And the real question is, where's crime intelligence and where's intelligence? Because mm -hmm. this, this type of coordination, this type of, uh, as the president called it, mutation of violence, ought to have been preempted. Um, and, and, you know, the president comes out and, and commends the police services for the arrest, but the reality of it is that this type of violence is coordinated, it's easy to preempt. And, and, and I think that government has been caught really, really, um, you know, unsure of what to do and how to react. Because on one hand, there's a temptation to be populist and to say, uh, you know, amidst a real economic crisis in South Africa, mm. um, and, and, and there was that, that element of populism from mm. some local leaders to say, yeah, we need to look at how foreigners uh, conduct business in South Africa. And then on the other hand, there's now this, this, this violence that no one can control. And so it's, um, it's, it's, it's really now government looking at the problem that maybe possibly contributed and created uh, and saying, okay, we really don't know what to do, so let's just call for calm in a way that doesn't seem really genuine. Absolutely, because how do you send out... I mean, Jen, Jen, on that point mm. as well, I mean, our political leaders, their responses have been lamentable, right? Yes, but how do you, this is what I was coming to, how do you send out in, in, a, in Gauteng, the Gauteng Premier, David Makura, and the Joburg Mayor, Hermes Shaba, both who have made xenophobic comments absolutely and say so they've made these comments and then 
you now want to send them out there, stand in front of the looters and say something different. Who's going to believe? How, how do you send them out there? there? There is no political leadership in this province on this issue or in the city. And so what does, does national government come in now? I just, I just don't think that that our leaders in, in the province, like I said, the province and the city, should be able to have any say, unfortunately. And I mean, that point, I mean, yeah, you talked about the president running away. I mean, this yeah. is a situation where our political leaders should be front and center, and they are nowhere. Yeah. Let me just comment first on what Jane has said. Because the issue that uh, the local leaders have been raising is an issue that relates to the weaknesses at national level. Mm whereby borders are very porous. We all know that people smuggle stuff through our borders. So because of SARS having been hollowed out uh, in the under Zuma regime, there's a lot of leakage of stuff, but also of people moving in freely mm -hmm. because South African uh, security cluster, you can pay something to get in. So a lot of that. So this, uh, I agree with that the local guys have fueled it, mm -hmm. but we need, this, we need the whole uh, government machinery across ministries really uh, look at this issue quite seriously and attend to it. And the first way of atten attending to it is ensuring that we free the visas, mm. but freeing the visas uh, allow Af Africans to come in freely, but ensuring that all the measures are put in place. That is, we can be able to document people, we can be able to ensure that we know where people are, they're coming for holiday or they're coming to work. Without those systems, even at local level, you're just going to be fighting a losing battle. But how do we, fi how do we fix the argument, or fix the, this argument that gets thrown around that foreign nationals are here taking our jobs? So you could have a foreign national here um, legally, with a permit, started a business, has been a... What stops a local for still going you've taken my job? Because a lot of them have their own shops. So it's not that someone's given them a job. Well, when, you, when your cops or security establishment takes money from uh, two barbarians, yeah. when a woman who's being, who's being raped goes to the police station and uh, the police uh, have nothing to do with it, they don't support the woman, they don't know how to support the woman, you've got a system that's collapsed. So in that regard, because of system failure, some of which was done systematically by the Zuma regime mm -hmm. uh, just to undermine everything and cause, and cause lawlessness, that inheritance of that culture has really deepened. So therefore, uh, people are so disempowered as citizens that actually you don't know what to do. So the argument that there are opportunities, so they, they'll be um, opportunists, who see um, opportunity to run, seek, and steal, and rob, mm -hmm. will use that because they know, I'm not going to get caught. I can't get away with mm -hmm. it, etc. So really, for us, it's a moral decline, collapse of institution, and a huge call for us as society to rally, uh, to really pressurize the state, to do the right thing. What's the moment? Uh, no one is doing anything. We're all uh, on our own and have these debates and, dis and discussion. Juliet, I mean, the undercurrent is the weak economy, right? I mean, this is what Lincoln sure, is you're scrapping. About. You're, everyone is scrapping for a so diminishing right. pie, mm. um, and you've got a collapsed economy in Zimbabwe, um, and people who are forced economic migrants who who do come here and and make a go of things. Um, but I think going to Lumkila's point, it's so it's it's our incredible, it's our weak economy, but it's this is the product of 
a, a breakdown in governance. Mm. And the, the rhetoric and the, the talk around this is all very populist. It's all very short-term, easy, populist mm. solutions to the mm. issue, or uh, you isolate one issue. It's, it's actually multifaceted, mm, sure. and it will take hard work uh, and hard, boring grind sure. to get the situation right, where you, mob, you patrol your borders, or um, you have decent governance in the cities in which people live. Um, I mean, you create areas of grime. I, I do think the broken window theory has something to do with the kind of malaise that people um, live through every day. And I think it's just a concatenation of, of bad governance of the last 10 years. Conita, on that point, I mean, Julieta talked about the culture. We have a culture that to some extent is, is broken down, um, a culture of extreme violence. The stories in the last week, uh, the gender-based violence the last week, are, are really horrific. Absolutely. It's, it's almost like a nightmare to, to, to just see what's happening in South Africa, both from the xenophobic violence as well as the gender-based violence. The reality of it is that, you know, it persists every day. It's just sometimes, uh, you know, one grueling story or five grueling stories then capture everyone and enrages us in a way that we've seen. But the reality of it is that it's been persisting and going on uh, you know, every single day. Um, it's almost becoming very difficult to just keep up with the cases of, of, of gender-based violence, of femicide. And the reality of it is there is no solution. Um, because, you know, you can, you can talk about death penalty, you can talk about harsher sentences. If you just look at what our prisons are like, there's 35% of overcrowding, meaning, mm. you know, that's, that's already an indication of, you, you, can't, you can't mass incarcerate people. That's, that's not the solution. Um, you have, uh, you know... But does that create the culture of violence outside in our society? We have a tremendously runaway culture of violence that is... I think it's multifaceted, and I think that, you know, the culture of violence manifests in different ways, as we've seen with xenophobic violence and protests, we've seen in how the... Uh, but I also think there's a sense of impunity, because really, what, what is going to happen? I mean... The consequences. Yeah, the consequences. consequences. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think, you know, if you look at the, 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 fam uh, who, uh, the, the UCT student who was, who was brutally raped and, and, and murdered, this man was literally physically taking the pamphlets that her friends and, and, and peers were handing out and said, no, he'll distribute them at the post office in which she was killed. So that's the type of country that, that we're in, the type of brokenness that we're in. And I think that, you know, for too long, we look at government hoping and pleading that, that, that the government of the people is going to come with a solution. And I think that really um, it, 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 it shows that, you know, we... we, we like I mean, it's bad. It's bad that we constantly look at a government who has no answers. Yeah, and we have no, and they have no answers, and mm. they've burnt us over and over and over again. So you have to get to a point that says, how how then do we fix these societal issues um, uh, in a way that that you know is is um, is is not so over-reliant on, on a government that really isn't interested in solving the problem. And then we're talking about having visuals and, and having talking about changing the laws. But the reality of it is that there are laws in place. There are things that can be done to, 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 that can be enforced in a way that, that just stops the problem. Surely the obvious is you vote in a new government. I don't know if it's as simple as that when you have a politics society not, ailing. Politics is not going to fix societal issues, is it? But, but you, need you need consequence for what happens. So Genevieve, in the, in the last couple of days, or today even, Justice Minister Ronald Lamola was talking about uh, discussing the death penalty again. I mean, that, that's, we haven't implemented the rules we already have. 
and now we have talk of implementing an even crazier rule that has already been deemed unconstitutional. Is that not the situation with NHI even? We don't fix what we have and yeah. then recommend something <laughs> completely wild. Firstly, I want to say that the, com the, the comment by the Justice Minister is actually outrageous. He was asked a question, would government consider a referendum on bringing back the death penalty? And he answered by saying, we will take it to cabinet and discuss this. <laughs> when actually, as the justice minister and as someone with a law degree, he should have, his answer should have been, it is un the death penalty has been declared unconstitutional by our constitutional court. End of story. The security cluster is looking at ways to deal with the lawlessness and issues of security, etc. But the death penalty is off the table. We've dealt with it. It's done. That was it. His, his mistake was saying we will discuss it. Discuss what? Populism, it's populism. Yeah. Yeah. Populism. Just to, in response to what uh, Juanita was saying, uh, that, you know, the danger, Juanita, what, what we're seeing is that it's pushing and reinforcing poverty and inequality. Mm. So those of us who are sitting here, because we've got resources, we can then look after ourselves. I've got police, I've got security, um, my child goes to a private school, uh, you, uh, I've got uh, private health care. We cannot live in a society like that. That is why we need to call the state to account. We need to, 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 to unite as people and pressurize the state. If the state needs resources, we need to be ready to go and serve. Because our society is going to be fractured. We'll all be living in these high walls, as it's happened in many countries, such as Sao Paulo, city of Sao Paulo, where people uh, live uh, in a very poor environment. The poor can't get in. I don't want to live in a country like that. Mm. Um, that's why we need to really pressurize the state to do that thing. And that's the profound last word on the show. Join Sorry. us next week for another, another great episode of Editing Loud. Sorry. <laughs>